0: Hello, my name is Neve Branigan. If you're a regular listener, it's lovely to have you back, and if you're a first-timer, welcome. Here on the Irish Film London podcast, we bring you all the latest and greatest talent from Irish film, TV, and animation. With recordings of live Q&As and interviews from our festivals and award ceremonies, as long as a host of brand new interviews, one of which I'm delighted to bring you today. In today's episode, Jerry chats to the makers and creators of documentary Groundswell. Activist and filmmaker Johnny Gogan joins us alongside Leitrim activist Eddie Mitchell. Groundswell chronicles the decade-long struggle of Leitrim and Fermanagh's residents as they fight against the threat of fracking in their communities. In this chat, we discuss its themes and the wider aspects of Johnny's work, along with Eddie reminding us the fight isn't over. You can catch well along with some other great shorts and documentaries on our website. Just click into Irish Film from Home and it will redirect you. The IFL podcast is completely independent, so I would ask if you enjoy yourself here today, or you enjoy popping onto our website and checking out our events and films that we put up, to consider making a donation, or becoming a champion. If money is tied at the moment, even just spreading the word about us would be brilliant. Just before I hand you over, I would like to thank Culture Ireland and the Irish Emigrant Support Programme for their ongoing support for our work, including this podcast. Enjoy, folks.
1: So well, I'd like nice to say hello to everyone and uh, to thank everyone who's here for joining us tonight. Um, Irish Film London is very lucky to be able to host Groundswell on our Irish Film From Home platform this month of May, Um, and we're more lucky to be joined tonight by the director of Groundswell, Johnny Gogan, and uh, anti-fracking activist, Eddie Mitchell. Um, I hope that's a suitable tribute for you, Eddie. Well, it's okay. Okay, he's he's letting me off with anti-fracking activist, that's good. (laughs) So, um, Eddie and Johnny, thanks very much for joining us. How are you both doing tonight? Very
2: good, it's been a pretty beautiful day here in uh, Drummerhair, County Leitrim, and uh, we're kind of enjoying being kind of let out a bit more than we have been up to now,
1: so
3: full of the joys.
1: Good stuff. What about yourself, Eddie?
3: Ah, uh, We're great, great. and um, We're kind of having a second winter in Leitrim, the, the, the east wind has been coming for about two weeks, so we're kind of wondering when it's going to change, but um, I think it's going to warm up.
1: It's tough. Well, look, it's nice, and if it makes you feel any better, it's nice and warm in London. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's always nice and warm in London by comparison to from Anna Lieter. Yeah, but look, I yeah. do come from, I do come from from Anna, and the story of Groundswell, it feels pretty close to my heart. It feels pretty close to home to me because it's, it's something I've lived through as well. In the sense that, like, the, the story of the local fight against the threat of tambourine resources coming in and fracking the the pristine environment which is you know home to home to all of us but also really the the biggest source of of tourist income in the region and a source of really natural beauty for us all that's something that I remember very clearly and, and still remember and I know that there's still there's still some activities going on about it so it's it's really really nice to be able to have the conversation with with you both and to be able to host groundswell and to allow more people to see it really um so thanks both for for joining us and for your contribution and bringing it in bringing the film this way um i suppose i want to start off the conversation this evening by finding out a bit more about yourself as a filmmaker, first of all, Johnny, before we start talking about Groundswell itself, um, because it's not by any means your first film, is it?
2: No, it's, um, I suppose it's actually my 10th feature film, kind of half of which are drama and the other half are documentary. So, um, and this year is going to be a very big year for me. It's the 30th year making films. So I've been kind of celebrating that in a quiet way. Um, and I started out in, you know, for a film going audience, maybe it'd be interesting. I started out in Dublin um, with the organization called Filmbase uh, back in the late eighties. And um, I, my first kind of um, entry into film was starting the magazine, the, which the magazine that became Film Ireland for Filmbase. And uh, then I started making films, short films, um, in 1990, she um, first short mm-hmm. film I made, and then I kind of just moved on fr- from there. But I suppose my, I've been politically active always in parallel, and the two have always been quite interlinked. At that time, you know, in the late 80s in Ireland, in fact, the first thing I reported on for Film Ireland was the abolition of the Irish Film Board in 1987. Right. So it seemed like um you know publishing a magazine that was about filmmaking, uh, produced by filmmakers, and getting to make films in that period when essentially independent filmmaking in Ireland had been shut down, or there was an attempt to shut it down, was Mm -hmm. actually quite a political act, if you like, and quite a Mm. subversive act. And I was fortunate to kind of get to make films, a bunch of films before the film board was re-established in around 1993, 94. So, um, but be, even back before that, I'd, I'd studied, I studied politics and um, I had been active in things like the anti-amendment campaign in 1983, or the so-called Right to Life campaign. And that was sort of my initiation into politics. So, um, yeah, that's the, the two have always been quite interlinked. And um, I moved to Leitrim in 1997 to make a film actually about the border called Mapmaker, which was a thriller uh, set in the post- ceasefire the post-1994 kind of hiatus if you like and dealing with the um the tensions in fact there's a couple of extracts featured in in groundswell but it was dealing with the kind of the aftermath of violence but also the kind of the aftershocks of of violence if you like in the border region and in some ways groundswell fits into kind of a series of films i've been making about the border the second being black ice which is about Boy racers and girl racers, um, and diesel smuggling and the border as a kind of a, as a as kind of a dark land, and then this has been a factual um, film about, I suppose, the reality of, of, of fracking and the threat of fracking.
1: So, like, there sounds like, with your map maker and your the way that you started your career, it sounds like. That politics or that political relationship with film has fed into a lot of what you've done very clearly. I, I yeah. Mean, do you feel that, like, like would you go so far as to say that that politics is an essential part of your your filmmaking over or your style of filmmaking? Well, it, I mean, going
2: back to that kind of instinct that at the beginning it was um, very much about. You see, we in Ireland, I mean really, we only made one or two feature films a year through the 1980s. That's right, yeah. So it was a very low output. And um, a lot of those films had to receive their permission from abroad because you couldn't raise finance in Ireland. So there were so many Irish stories that couldn't be told and certainly couldn't be told from an Irish point of view for someone who actually lived and grew up in the society. It wasn't um, permitted to tell those stories in in many ways. So for me the the instinct has always been searching out those untold stories Um, and some of them have been kind of more personal to me and some of them haven't been. Like for example uh, one that wasn't personal to me but very much resonated with um, where my own kind of outlook on on the world is the film I made about Hubert Butler who was the Human rights activist from Kilkenny who um, smuggled Jews into Ireland um, in the year in the year before the Second World War, and wow. who had been censored in Ireland, and who was really kind of a visionary writer, and he can more or less coined uh, what our film is about, which is the notion of acting locally and thinking globally. So that was a story that I was able to you know, back in twenty sixteen, able to dig out. A lot of people knew about Hubert Butler, but no one had ever made a film about him because it was unfinanceable. And that, that was one crazy. of the the, the the things I found out in making it, that no one wanted to finance it. Right. I, I essentially, I found a way of doing it because I have a great collaboration here in Leitrim with an editor, with Steve Wickham, um, Patrick O'Rourke, my editor, and Steve Wickham, the musician, and Niall Flynn, who are the same team of people who made this film which nobody was prepared to finance either you know so 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 for me it's a kind of that it's that kind of subversion of what is permissible is at the core of my own filmmaking ethic and that kind of feeds into the wider
1: politics as well Mm. so what are your wider politics johnny like because in the film you talk about your role as a counselor as a, a yeah, Green, well, Green Party councillor, am I right?
2: Well, as an unelected councillor, but as, as <laughs> a, you know, it's un, it's impossible to get elected um, north of the Galway-Dublin line as, as a Green. Uh, certainly in the northwest of Ireland, it's going to take another 10, maybe another 5 or 10 years before we see a councillor. But the, the maximum is always if you're not elected, just behave as if you are a councillor. And people people will quietly kind of uh, respect you. And... Um, and, and give you the latitude to um t- to operate in that way. So my politics would be, yes, they're environmental, but they are, back to that thing of acting and thinking globally. But also, I mean, one of the reasons I r- was really attracted to living here in Leitrim and, and staying here after I made mapmaker was because there's a very powerful sense of community here. It's, it's not unique in Ireland, but it is hard to find... I think maybe there's other places down the Western seaboard that have that, but there's very few places with the quality of, you know, that resounding sense of community that that you get here. And I think that that's also something that we tried to capture in the film.
1: Well, speaking of that sense of community and the strong activism, Eddie, you're a member of that community. Um, What was your, I mean, your, your sort of introduction into the world of, what happened with this with this battle is is chronicled a little bit in, in the film. Um, quite early on in the film, you're introduced to somebody who like he literally saw some a sign on the side of the road. Is that is that how you were indoctrinated into the
3: cause? Well it, that's the truth. Um, but like I was a very unlikely um anti-fracking activist. Um, Like I I was involved in local Fine Gael politics, which is kind of like people have described that like a center right politics, you know? So we would have been supposed to be supporting fracking, you know, like we would be supporting jobs and development and industry. And so um, just lucky enough, we had the internet and we um, were able to um, do some do our own research. I I, I was an architect, I'm an architectural technician. And I was after doing a course in energy management thing, you know, a, a part time. So I, I thought, you know, a big, massive energy project. So I, I looked into it very quickly. I thought I'd get a job. You know, I thought yeah. it was going to be great. But that didn't last long. I mean, yeah. as soon as you research fracking, and you start to consider, oh, my God, this is, this is very, very big. And then yeah. very, very um, serious. And then, my God, I look at all these concerns. Like, mm. are, you know, and then that's the beginning of realizing we have to be very careful about this you
1: know. yeah because that was one of the the selling points from tamboran and from all these um license applicants because it wasn't just tamboran that I, if i recall correctly that was applying for license to to fracking the, in the region but the promise was because this was happening at the end of the credit crunch as we called it the last recession in 2007 2008 or, or thereabouts the promise was that there would be loads of jobs
3: yeah and and that 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 sounds great, like, uh, but um, if that's all you have to say, you know what I mean? If that's the only argument that you can make, then 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 that's that's like that can be very dangerous. Like when you live in a, you know what, Fermanagh is like. Mm-hmm. I mean, an absolutely beautiful landscape, and someone's going to drill three thousand wells, um, and eventually you're going to link the place to a petroleum base, you know, permanently. I mean you're 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 looking at the end of of of, of, of life as we knew it, you know, definitely.
1: Oh well, definitely, yeah. For for a person who is or for a region, I mean, that is like so based on the tourism of its natural beauty, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the idea that you know there's like water water sports championships and world cups and stuff taking place on the air and areas of outstanding natural beauty and you know geo parks and all this kind of stuff like it's just sounds it sounds ridiculous to be able to to be able to say that you're going to start a, a petroleum-based industry in the in the heartland of this it doesn't make
3: sense well it it, it really did confront us you know and mm. um, we, we 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 really hadn't and um, we had no vision really for for our county. You know what I mean? We we were just living in it. You know we, you know Leitrim is a poor place. We we don't go shout. We're not shouting about Leitrim all the time. Mm-hmm. We're, we're we're not challenging. We're we're quiet people who get on with our lives. But fracking has changed that for people in Leitrim. You know we, we 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 now know that if we don't shout, like I didn't even speak at my own wedding. You know I that's how quiet we are. Like um we 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 had to we really had to step up in in order to take on this and i suppose the thing about people in in litrum is that we're we're connected really connected and deeply rooted to to the place so it was our response was like a response to a virus you know it was a it, it it was it was just uh we, we realized that we were the only people who could stop it you know we had to represent the the the, the, the ground that we stood on yeah and, and and that's what we had to do and whether we we didn't expect to win you know mm. we 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 expected to fight and it was really about you know just taking on that struggle and 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 just and and fighting it and 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 look at we won you know for now at least we, we haven't won in fermanagh but we we have we've won in litrum but that's only a half a win you know yeah yeah i think that the other was
2: the other thing as well jerry was that there's, there was no playbook as well as how, how to to deal with this and i think uh you know we tried to um deal with in the film about what had happened in Karab, <clears throat> but you know, if you you always have to remember the people in Karab, and if people are familiar with the um, conventional gas development off the shore of of the coast of Mayo. Mm. There wasn't was it was about a pipeline, and about, about which path the pipeline would take. It wasn't about whether the gas should be extracted or not. What we were actually saying in Leitrim was this is not going to be extracted. This is this project is not going to go ahead mm. in any shape or form because we knew that it couldn't happen in any safe way because of the nature of shale gas. There was no safe way of, of extracting it. So we, there was no precedent in Ireland for dealing with that and um, direct confrontation with a serious vested interests, because, you know, Tamboran were not a huge company, but we knew that what they would do is, probably get to a point where they had enough licensing and that they would then sell on to a Shell or to an Exxon who would be very, very difficult to say no oh, to.
1: Right, so it's not it's not necessarily even about stopping the big demon of Tambor and resources coming in. It's about stopping the licenses going through so that the land isn't sold off to the highest bidder.
2: Yes, because see, what happened, say, in the case of... Um, and the project in mayo off the coast of mayo that was developed with um by a company called enterprise oil who are more or less an irish uh, based company and there's there's a, a circular thing which we can maybe refer to when we talk about fermanagh later on and they then sold off the interest to shell for the for the final development and for the exploitation of the field so that's what we knew we would be dealing with if, if the project got any traction. Mm. And also, if you're thinking of the kind of wider geopolitics as well, is that the fracking industry was very well established in the United States and in North America, but it was hadn't entered Europe in any big s- sense at that point. It was, they were trying to get into Poland and into Germany and, and maybe other countries that Eddie could add to there, but they were really trying to get a foothold in
1: Europe. So we were part of a larger, Um, strategy. Mm. So Johnny, just for the benefit of people outside of Ireland who might listen to this would you be able to try and summarise what happened in Mayo, what this thing is that we're referring to, because this is the story that's covered in the Gasland documentary, right?
2: No, this is the thing that's covered in the documentary called The Pipe.
1: Ah, okay, so this is a separate separate issue.
2: So Richie O'Donnell, who who made The Pipe, um, and Back in about 2010, uh, he documented um, confrontation between the community in Mayo and the developers of a conventional gas field off the coast of Mayo. And the community in Mayo wanted, um, they didn't want uh, the gas piped into an inland refinery. They wanted to have um, a refinery um, on the shore or offshore because they knew that there would, it would compromise farmland bogland and uh, there's just a the community it would compromise the community if it was um piped inland and um and basically uh two things um the courts found what shell were doing was uh outside the law but shell kept on forcing the issue and the politicians were unable to say no to uh, shell because essentially they were threatened with the fact well if you keep if you start create obstructions and um, we'll pull out now so ultimately right. the shell got its way and the pipe went through uh, to the refinery at Naboy and that gas now um provides about 50% of Ireland's gas supply. But I, you know, what happened in the course of that was that there was terrible division uh, and terrible acrimony within the community. And the developers of the gas field had spread money around the community you know, to sports clubs and had created a kind of a vested interest among mm-hmm. certain aspects of the community And so it was a kind of a divide and conquer strategy. So we did learn that ourselves, that that could be something that would happen to us. But um, we knew it would be impossible to have a campaign that didn't have its internal tensions. And we go into this in the film, but we knew that we would have to find a way of managing that so that our campaign did not implode. So, um, and that took a lot of our energy as well as dealing with the companies and the, the regulators and the government we also had to deal with our own internal tensions.
3: I see, um, when, when you're campaigning, it can be very easy to spend all of your energy looking inside. You know, there's a lot of um, internal politics and personalities in campaigns. Like, it's really hard. Um, but but you we we have to continue continuously re reestablish that we have to look out and, and talk. To the people outside, you know, and 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 fighting is 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 part of all of that, but but uh, or you have to focus on the, your objectives, you know, and and your and, and and create a an alternative vision, and we were we, we done that and we focused on that. We got a lot of help with that, like the Rossport is an important campaign for us because, and um, they to to some extent at very important times. They they were like they acted as mentors to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when, when we were facing we'd say money coming into the community, there was one group that took 20,000 off Tambourum. And we went and we asked them what we should do. And they said, Don't fight with them. And we were we were ready to to, to launch a, a, a massive attack, but we, we didn't, because we were advised by people who should know not to do it. And you know what? Nobody else took money. So the oil and gas industry's money didn't get into Menor Hamilton. And the people who took the money, who were, who took it on the basis that there would be no strings attached, mm-hmm. didn't open the door for for money. So that was very important, I think, because when they couldn't get in their money, then they couldn't have their influence, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: So as a community, we got to figure it out without that Um. um added in, you know, which was probably the difference between winning and losing, I, I think, you know. And mm-hmm. it was a simple piece of advice that came from another community, you know. And that, so we, we we, always talk about what happened in, in, in Rossport because I don't think we could have won our campaign mm-hmm. without their experience.
1: Yeah, and Rossport is the community in County Mayo that, that fought the, the Shell pipeline originally, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So it, it's it was such a long campaign. This, I mean, this documentary is what twelve years in the making, Johnny.
2: Well, it's actually it's exactly ten years uh, to the month that um, we oh. kicked it off in Drumshambo. It's uh, I think it might have been the twelfth of May or the or the fourteenth of May or something like that. Yeah, um, it was very very close to like ten years, and um, uh, it it goes on. But I, th- I think just before we move on maybe i'll just add to what eddie said that um it, as a this strategy that now there were 20 groups i don't know if i, I list them at the end of the film mm-hmm. uh, but don't kind of interview them all it wasn't possible to do that and both eddie and i were involved in the group Love Leitrim, and Love Leitrim took a, a kind of an approach that well listen how will we um get the community on board um and it was in in this way which was the notion of positive campaigning mm-hmm. which is that the word no is not was not going to be part of our vocabulary if you like yeah um we would celebrate what we had and um, the fact that like the incredible landscape the fact that we had a kind of burgeoning tourism industry mm-hmm. agriculture this part of of um of Ireland is is a, where for suckler raising, for suckler rearing, which is young cattle, um, which are then sold on to people who have better land down the country. But it it is it has an important part in the overall um, agricultural sector in in mm. Ireland. So it th- that approach allowed people to get involved in a way that was natural to them. So the tractors, you know, the farmers came out in tractor rallies, and the the fisher folk came out with their boats and paraded through Enniskillen and uh, maybe through Manor Helmeton, but definitely through Enniskillen. Yeah. Uh, a cavalcade with their, with their um, fishing boats. And, I remember um, it
1: well, yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and, and artists who aren't great necessarily at joining political and sticking with political struggles were able to get involved and take action in a way that was natural to them and dancers mm-hmm. and all sorts of people um, were able to take their part in the, in, 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 and that that's a kind of a campaigning that's more often associated with countries which are repressive countries where people aren't allowed to come out and protest. I'd seen it kind of operate in South America where people would be essentially shot at or um, if they went out and protested with placards. So we were adapting that kind of um, approach which also had a community development approach at a time as you've indicated when the community was on its knees because of the crash because of the economic crash so mm. it turned into something that was really affirmative and character building for the place
1: yeah but i'm i'm so curious as to how how your relationship with a film project like this or any any creative endeavor changes over the course of of a 10 year period because you know, I mean obviously you've had the will to see it through and complete it and and we're glad that you did, of course, but like it, it must have been some journey from 10 years ago until now. This month, well,
2: no, I mean, it's part of it. I enjoyed kind of, I should say, like, um, I took I don't know if Eddie did this at all, but I did take a kind of a rest, I feel like. Around I, I know when I went back to document the events of 2014, for example, Belku, what happened, Belku? I wasn't involved in that so it may have been because of work, or just because the energy of kind of getting things off the ground i definitely took a back seat and then i came back in more involved in late 2014
1: 2015
2: okay and was able then to kind of um keep sustain that now i should say i wasn't making a film was not in my head at that time it was about a political campaign and um the idea for making a film. What actually happened was when we finished in 2017, most of us were in need of a rest. And I definitely kind of pulled back um, Eddie didn't. And I, I'd love to talk about what Eddie then went on to, to do almost single-handedly after that. Um, and it was only 18 months, I think, after the events of the Irish ban in July 2017 happened. That I actually had the idea to make a film so it's only about 18 months ago that I actually started to make a film and um, and that. involved going around using some of my own footage that I would shot and then finding uh, making contact with other people who gathered footage and. um, That was kind of a job in itself because it was all over the place and then we shot lots of new interviews and then Eddie had the idea in February of last year I said, listen, I'm going to Pennsylvania. I'm going to New York. Do you want to come? And luckily, we took the offer to go um, because that really kind of gave a whole other dimension to the film. I hadn't intended to. I didn't think we were going to be able to afford to do it, but we just bit the bullet and um, we just got the film shot and uh, we finished in New York on the 10th of March of last year. Which if everybody knows is the time that the lockdown happened. So we just got in ahead of the, the door being shut on us. I Amazing. Mean,
1: so you've managed to. So what you're saying is, we are by by having the opportunity to to go to Pennsylvania, to go to to go to North America, and do all that stuff. You know, it brought it to life in a new way, essentially.
2: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely we were able to show what fracking would actually entail and um and hats off to eddie for kind of really just keeping going um and, and just saying come on let's what mm. about it and uh we had a really great trip we got to travel in march of 2020 <laughs> <laughs> not many people can say that yeah
1: you were thinking local and acting globally yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Eddie, do you feel that like your relationship to the to the project has developed or changed over that time as well?
3: Well, when you when you live in a gas basin, you have to win. We they only have to win once, you know. We we have to keep winning. So just because we got and we have a very good legislative ban, it's probably one of the best in the world. Our definition of fracking is, is very strong. Mm-hmm. And basically you can't um break rock under the Republic of Ireland for the purposes of extracting petroleum. So um, it, that's that's a very strong wording. But legislation can be changed. Mm-hmm. And you see we see Trump follow Obama, even though it was Obama that 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 um, drove fracking everywhere around the world. Um, you can see that things can get worse. So we we weren't we weren't happy when we when we when we got her ban. So I would this, pro, this this campaign hasn't really stopped. For, for those, for, for us, because we know that we have to um, ban fracking everywhere before really we can settle, you know?
1: Yeah, so th- that's something that I wanted to ask you both about as well, because I get the I get the distinct impression that this battle is far from over, and that the present day situation is far from where you would want it to be in
3: terms of making sure that these communities remain safe from this threat.
1: Hmm.
3: Well, um, like Fermanagh is under application from Tamboran right now for a fracking license. And they're 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 making actually they're not making the statements. They've always been quite honest with us for some for some reason, for an oil company, you know, or a gas company. But I think that was because they, they wanted to promote they were a small company and they wanted to promote their project to somebody like shell that might buy them I, I i can't tell you that for sure but but they were quite honest in the beginning mm. but now we're seeing politicians in northern ireland making claims that this won't include fracking so they're they're, and what what that means is that the first well won't include fracking it doesn't and it's a, it's a terrible thing that it could be so cynical mm. but then um, we see claims be made that this the license applications for fracking in Northern Ireland and um, that that initially mightn't include fracking, but well, Tamborn have been very clear about what they'll need to do. So, so it threat hasn't gone away at all in, in the north, you know? So hold on.
1: Tamborn, the the
3: fracking company,
1: Tamborn mm-hmm. Resources has got a license in to no not yet. Right. They've got a license, they're applying to, for a license. Yes. Right, so they've got an application in for a license, so the fracking company, Tambor and Resources, has got an application in which they say won't involve any fracking.
3: No, they're not saying that. Oh. So they're saying that their first well, and that they, will, they won't use fracking, um, they'll use some other technology. In other words, they can explore and find out what's down there without high-volume hydraulic fracturing nobody uses high volume hydraulic fracturing and exploration high volume hydraulic fracturing is used in the in the commercial production yeah so yeah. we've always seen this type of language you know misuse of language in other words telling lies by by, by the politicians and the and the companies that that want to promote and um, so they the, technically they're not telling lies but but, but really it, that's a lie yeah.
2: but, mm-hmm. In some ways, Eddie, it's, it, there's a certain corollary with what Shell did in Mayo. They would progress the project on and uh, break the planning permission um, guidelines. and really um, force the, the, the regulatory authorities. They would get to a point where it would be impossible to tell them to, no, to say no to them. So they could drill in Fermanagh. They could do their horizontal drilling and call it a conventional drill, but they could then turn around and say, listen, we found gas in large amounts, but we cannot commercialize it without using fracking. And who could then tell them no? Um, well,
3: well, it's worse than that, Johnny. If they're not allowed to frack at that stage, they'll sue for the value of the gas, which is the real game here. It's always about open the value of whatever you're doing. So if you can't get, like tambourne are going to take out gas, they're only interested in, in moving the project forward so that they can sell on their 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 you know sell sell something you know, and if they can sell it to somebody that can go into court, that that's even better. So it's it's about stepping forward slowly, uh, managing opposition, and moving on. So. There won't be any fracking in Fermanagh because the people in Fermanagh won't allow it. We've seen that in two thousand and fourteen, but but yet um, the company still keeps moving forward, and they are moving forward in the process. You know, and at the moment now there's research happening, which has been carried out by Hatch Regenerus, which is a, a, a company that comes from Alberta in Canada, the centre of of the oil and gas industry in Canada, and, and they are they are, they are going to promote. And sell the idea of of, of fracking now in in, 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 in Pramana. And it's gonna every piece of evidence that they create is going to be used to sue the British, the, the Northern Ireland government if they if they try to stop fracking.
1: So it's it's still a real and present threat. Yeah. Yes, and just because
2: I alluded to it earlier on, the company, the, the same people behind the development of the Mayo field, if I'm mm-hmm. correct, Eddie, are the people behind Tambora now. So that strategy of developing the regulatory framework, getting the permissions, and then selling on, which is what they did in Mayo, and as Eddie says,
3: Carl, Carl Prendiville was the guy who, who um, started off in Mayo, and he's still, I think, I, I think he's still involved with Tamborn. but he was involved with with, with Tambourne up until very recently. I, I presume he's still there, you know. It, Camborn have gone very quiet you know they they, they initially they, they, they came and they spoke to us and they were um you know they ran a lot of public meetings and in in fairness that's probably why we got got it stopped because a lot of other companies especially in the uk they absolutely nothing you know they refused to engage yeah. but um they they tried a, a, they tried out this idea of um saying that they were going to you know make us all rich and they wanted to be our friends, and they said, "Blame the government. We're just a company. We're just a contractor." And we said, "You know, you're right. We won't fight with you. We'll blame the government." So we went and we changed the law, and and, and that was the best piece of advice that they gave us.
1: Yeah. So, is this did, they, did this happen, or did it attempt to happen anywhere else in Ireland?
2: Uh, well, Claire, County Clare was also licensed, but it was never, it was a different company in Clare and it was never progressed. Um, But we, there was also a project uh, near Carrickfergus, which was ostensibly a conventional drill, but we, which is probably the closest we've come, Eddie, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but it's probably the closest we've come to fracking, getting a foothold in Ireland, because we knew that even if that was a conventional drill, if they had found um oil or gas in that drill near um near Carrick Fergus, which is in a highly sensitive um all the, the water, the reservoirs for Carrick and for Belfast were located there. Mm-hmm. Um it was just down the hill permission. And um, but we knew that if they'd found gas or oil there, that they would have had to use fracking in order to commercialize that field. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it was a dry drill, if I'm correct, Eddie.
1: So, so it, it can't happen. I mean, there's still that threat that you talked about, but it can't happen in the traditional sense in Ireland now. There's that very strong law. Um, my understanding is that there's a moratorium on fracking in, in in the UK or at least in England at the moment?
3: Well, there was an election in England and Boris Johnson thought he was going to lose a few seats. So he said that there'd be a moratorium. And then it turned out then that that moratorium was based on some concern about some, um, some um, earthquakes. So it's very limited and it's regional. So we do see, I think it's Chesh- Cheshire. I think that there is some exploration going on in in the UK so it's just about saying there won't be any fracking for now but we're going to continue with exploration so it, uh, we have to be careful when we win because when we win it's an opportunity to quieten the campaign to 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 get people to go back to sleep people that are tired you know and and in in reality our campaign in Ireland was 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 far too strong for, for, for to allow fracking in but when they give us a ban in the re- in the republic, that have the size of the campaign, so it meant that the people now in the north are fighting on their own. So, how do people in Leitrim keep fighting when 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 we fracking banned, you know? So it's it's these strategies. Um, the, the you know we you, you have to keep winning, and you have to keep um you you're never safe until everybody is safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I think it's, it's an interesting point because, it I mean, what's kind of emerged when you kind of stand back and reflect a bit, a bit on it, which you have to when you're making a film, is that it was really quite a unique um, cross-border campaign. I don't think there's been anything of this scale in terms of an all-island uh, campaign, dare I say, since the, the hunger strikes. Back in 1981, um, you know, which was very much a kind of a national campaign. If people remember back to that time, this is obviously a campaign of a different nature. But it has been an all-island campaign, and you know, we work as closely as possible with people in the north, including with um, people in the legislature in, in Belfast. You know, so we don't, we, we obviously there's a, there's there is a border there, and there's sensitivities but we have to we see ourselves as operating very much in an all island basis and um, because we have to the the, the, the shannon rises in fermanagh um, and yeah. if the gas field is opened up in fermanagh that compromises the shannon you know so
3: um, John, johnny I, I i can remember standing in the middle of a forestry in woodburn beside carrie fergus with a man called billy and the two of us were chatting away. He'd have been a local farmer or a local person. And um, he was, I remember him saying to me, is to how we going to stop this, you know? And like we were standing on a road where every flag had a Union Jack, you know? And I was wondering where, I wa- where in the world I was, you know? I knew <laughs> I didn't cross any water to get to where I was. But um, there I was in the middle of this um, forest with, with um, this community, which was predominantly Protestant. And they were they we were we were all working together to try and um, fight the, the the these these companies mm. and, and like when i my parents um were always talking about people that they knew in in cashel and and in fermanagh but but the border uh, when the border came it, it closed off those relationships between people in leitrim and people in in, in, in fermanagh but we have now we generated an awful lot of that through the anti-fracking campaign so we can go comfortably into Fermanagh now into houses and chat people and it, it's been very positive from that regard you know we, we've we really have um reconnected with Fermanagh because of fracking you know yeah well it's it's the, it, exactly the
1: kind of exactly the kind of campaign that goes beyond those like those those old divisions, you know, because it's it's something that's so so forward looking. You know, you're there's no when, when you come together as a community of people that live in a space to fight an environmental cause like that or something that that affects your the area that you all live in and depend on, then you're you're thinking of your your own interests, but you're also thinking of generations to come interests, you know? Yeah. You're thinking of how to protect a place in perpetuity. And that goes beyond that goes beyond like Catholics and Protestants and one side or another of a, of a completely different fight, I think.
2: Yeah, there's a good question in the chat there, Jerry, uh, um, from Madeline about um about the, the campaign in Fermanagh. Like for example, um Fermanagh and Oma District Council were not going to make a submission um, to the current research process, um, and um, the councillors, a bunch of councillors, forced the issue um, under community pressure. And um, if I'm correct, Daddy, the, the, the uh, DUP abstained. So they're so they're constantly dealing with, you know, the old struggle, you know, impinging on. What should be an issue that unites people? You know, um, it's everybody's environment, as, as Diane says in the film. Um, and uh, But yet, that issue really is impinging on the community's ability to respond. So, um, if that answers Madeline's question, I, I think... Um, the, I situa- also...
3: the, the situation in Northern Ireland is, is kind of difficult to explain. So at the moment, there's this idea of a moratorium in Northern Ireland that you mentioned, Terry, but that, that's a moratorium until research is completed. Now, that research is going to be completed in the next week or two. So that 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 moratorium really doesn't count anymore. But now, what we have is, is we have strong political support against fracking, but the British government is now redefining what fracking is. So we don't know what that strong political support actually support actually means. But what we have is is I think we have kind of silent support for an oil and gas industry in Northern Ireland that doesn't include fracking, which they will define, and uh, to, to, not, to not include, so that they can continue with exploration. So they're, they're, the, the, the political establishment is interested in finding what's down there, even though they know that that will lead to a fracking industry. and, and But it's not popular. So we, we had this situation in the Republic as well, where the, the government was saying, oh, we won't do this if it's bad, but we will give out these licenses and everything will be fine. So what, we, what we'd like to see is to test that. And so Sinn Féin were bringing forward a bill to ban fracking, but now we've we seen Foster has resigned. We expect there, there, there probably will be an election um, quite soon in Northern Ireland, or definitely we don't expect to get through the full term. So there's a climate bill progressing through Northern Ireland. Now, th- two or three weeks ago, Spain put a ban on fracking into their climate bill. So the, the real test for, for Northern Ireland is to see if a ban on petroleum licensing, not a ban on fracking, a ban on petroleum licensing could be put into the climate um, bill in Northern Ireland. And what that would do is it would it will tease out whether this silent support um, for, for an oil and gas industry is real or not. And 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 hopefully we we'll, we we'll see something move on that.
2: And just as regards this, another question in the chat, like what the current kind of geopolitics are about fracking. I mean, there was an expectation that Biden would come in and um, stop fracking. Now, obviously, they made certain commitments in Pennsylvania, and because the, the vote was so close in Pennsylvania, and they made certain concessions there. But he's not stopping fracking and um, even though he's talking big about the need to um deal with climate change to you know to the u.s re-entering the paris climate agreement um but fracking it looks like will continue in the states so therefore the fracking industry will continue but we know the fracking industry is not self-sustaining in the u.s it needs foreign markets not just for its gas, but also for its technology. And that's where um, Ireland has been a target for importation of fracked gas from the US into Shannon, into Cork harbors and into, also in the north in Island McGee, there's a a facility um, envisaged for Island McGee in in the north. So that's also something, and it, it was after much pressure was put on, the existing parties in the, in the government here, um, a clause is put in, into the program for government promising a policy, promising to develop a policy to stop the importation, to ban the importation of fracked gas from um, foreign sources, mainly the US gas that was going to be coming into, into Shannon not just for the Irish market, but for potential redistribution into Europe. So that we're also actually very active on that front. So what what Love Leitrim is doing next, which is one of the questions in the chat, is that's one of the things that's exercising us, is getting our government here to put that ban, um, to to write that policy, and ideally to put that policy, banning the importation of frack gas into law. So... Um, there's there's a lot happening at the moment on 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 a number of fronts
1: brilliant so far from a closed book far from a finished story um but it's so it's a it's hopeful really in the sense that if this climate bill does progress in the north of ireland then then there's hope that, that the thing can be shut down Yeah, I think
2: it'd be great to hear Eddie talk about something that he's dragged us all into, which is the something that he says in the closing moments of the film, which is Eddie standing outside the UN building, March 2020. And he says, we're on our way in to meet uh, the Assistant Secretary General of the UN who's with responsibility for climate change. It'd be great to Eddie to talk because it went live. What he was talking about there has gone live here. In the last yeah. uh, ten days, uh, so we, and maybe maybe Eddie would m- mention something. Yeah, more so, about
3: so uh, it actually started. I didn't start this either. Um, Andy Giorgio probably had a huge played a huge role in this. Uh, he's a was a Food and Water Watch campaigner in in, in Germany, from Germany, and he's been fighting fracking with us in Ireland since we started. But um, so there's a group of campaigners around the world um, that have had this idea about two years ago to look for a global ban on fracking. So back at that time, and we signed up as well, Uh, they got about nearly 500 signatures calling on the UN to to bring forward a global ban on fracking. So because our legislation is so good in the Republic, um, I was asked to go and meet them because I was associated with that um, legislation. So that was a huge honour to go over to the UN and be able to challenge them. But in fact, at that meeting, we were challenged. And what what happened was that Satya explained to us that that they don't, they can't ban, um, they can't call for a global ban on fracking. That it needs to come from the member states. So we discussed which which country would be the best country in the world to um, bring forward such uh, a resolution that would call for a global ban on fracking. And what we what we understood was that because Ireland was not only banning fracking, but was going to ban the import import of frack gas into our energy mix, that we were were clean and able to stand up on the global stage and say, this is wrong. We don't don't want to do it. We don't want want the gas. And we think everybody should should, should not do it. So we decided um, that that, that Ireland would develop a resolution. So we we, we all worked together to develop a resolution. And now we've presented that to Simon Coney and Michal Martin and now we're asking them to raise that at the UN. And we, we, we will have the 50% or just over 50% support that we need to, to, to get that through if it's raised from Ireland. So right now, um, Eamon Ryan has been asked to advise um, the Department of Foreign Affairs on that issue. So. If, if we'd expect that Eamon would be um, on side, um, given, um, you know, th- that he's in the Green Party and he, and he has said that he'd like to do that, um, we, we we hope, so we, we have over 200, and I think we're at 270 groups now signed up globally, so we're asking all the grassroots movements around the world, so small groups like Love Leitrim, um, like Bell Crew, Frack Free, like all these tiny little communities, like what, like we represented in our film, and um, around the world, for them to um, sign up and and call on 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 Ireland to bring forward this resolution, and then we're going to ban fracking everywhere. It's hard to believe that a little place like Leitrim could start such a thing, or end fracking, but they came to the wrong place, and they came to the west of Ireland. <laughs> 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 Very good. Very good.
2: You know, we're a small community, but we, you know, what we also show in the film is that we're quite a disparate community. We were people of quite very different political hue. And we got politicians at a local level of different political hue to work together towards a common aim. And those politicians in turn convinced um, national politicians to to act. So, I mean, we're not unique um, in terms of a community here. There's certain qualities that are unique, but Communities everywhere have that potential if they just take back the power, if you like. Um, we experienced a power vacuum in Ireland at that time, and we took back the power um, and were able to articulate and then have have an impact. But that is um, in the gift of, of many other communities to do that. And we only have so much time to act on the issue of climate change. Mm-hmm. And um,
1: we can all do it in our own way. Well said, well said. Well look Johnny, Eddie, thank you both so much for joining us Um, and if anyone is interested, and I hope that you are after this conversation, Groundswell is available on the Irish Film From Home platform until the end of May, until the 3rd of June in fact, Um, so you can watch it there right now if you're joining us in the month of May 2021. Uh, Watch.eventive.org forward slash Irish film from home or visit irishfilmlondon.com London.com and find out more information about it there. Um, we hope that it's seen far and wide and we hope that we see more of you in the future, Johnny and Eddie, that your campaigning continues and the great work that you're doing um, gains more success. Thanks so much, both of yeah, you guys. Hope to see you in London. I do too, yeah. I hope to see us both. Yeah. Uh, maybe in March. <laughs> yeah, Eddie, Eddie knows London well as, uh, also so uh, we have to
2: get over there
3: yeah good stuff everybody right. here knows London yeah
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> great stuff guys thanks so much
0: that's it from us here today thank you so much for listening I hope this chat educated and inspired you as much as it did me we wish the best to Eddie and Johnny on their future projects and remember you can catch this documentary along with some other fantastic short films, all for only £5 on Irish Film From Home. Don't forget to follow us on social media, simply search for Irish Film London on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. A final thank you to the Irish Emigrant Support Programme and Culture Ireland who've been brilliant supporters of ours for years. Garmila Mahagut. The Irish Film London podcast is produced by me, Neve Brannigan. Our interviewer today was the head of Irish Film London, Jerry Maguire. We're edited by Owen Billcliffe and our theme music is by Kevin MacLeod. Thanks for listening and I'll see you again very soon.